Okay. Welcome to yeah. one more episode, Micro Podcast, Digital Transformation, Industry 4.0, and Emerging Technologies. I am Vijay Gunti, and I am your host today. Today with us is Kishore Jetrandi. Kishore is uh, into futuristic consulting at Futuristic Lens. So he is a futuristic economist, nut, innovation buff, business technology writer, and a natural strategic thinker. Many things to say. But we would like to hear more from Kishore. Kishore, can you please introduce yourself to the audience? Uh, yes. So uh, my name is Kishore Jetanandani. And as you mentioned that uh, I'm a futurist and a business technology writer. And uh, I've been writing on technology for the last 40 years uh, in India and in USA. Uh, and what I've been doing uh, lately is to write on digital transformation, especially for senior executives, uh, business advisors, and so on, uh, who need to communicate uh, their capabilities in uh, digital transformation. And often that is a book or an article. Uh, so I finished, uh, most recently, I finished a book on agility and digital transformation, uh, and which talks about uh, you know, the impact that COVID-19 has had on digital transformation is acceleration uh, and how it has uncovered uh, some deficiencies in the spread of uh, digital transformation. Uh, and uh, once uh, I laid out the lay of the land, I talked about uh, what kind of decision-making processes will emerge out of um, uh, this extensive uh, digital transformation, uh, which started initially with uh, robotic process automation, but uh, that's just the starting point. Um, you have to, from a strategic perspective, what matters is the data you get from the entire process of uh, transforming uh, companies uh, so that you get a 360-degree view of uh, your company, you get you gain visibility, situational awareness, which prepares the ground for rapid decision making. So that's uh, kind of the overall that I have been doing. Um, now the question about what do you, how do you think COVID has affected the business models? Um, I think uh, that is that is exactly the question that I addressed in this latest book, um, and it's a fascinating question to answer. Uh, for, for one, I think uh, I, I coined this term called um, COVID agility, uh, which is a order of magnitude, much higher level of uh, agility uh, that we need now because it's not like uh, catastrophes are infrequent. They're happening quite frequently. Even COVID-19 followed uh, the earlier versions of COVID-19. Uh, and it's extremely disruptive. It's extreme. It, it uh, leaves a sense of helplessness, but it doesn't have to be that way because digital technologies today have armed us so well uh, that if we use those technologies, uh, there would be no interruption at all in the work processes, including in the manufacturing industry. Uh, so to give an example, <clears throat> One of the reasons why uh, work uh, was interrupted was that you couldn't do testing rapidly enough. 
but testing with PCR uh, is inevitably going to be delayed. Uh, there are going to be long cycle times because you have to send the samples to uh, your labs and labs will take their own time. So there's a turnaround time of at least two weeks. So that's just too long for a situation like COVID. But you do have lately a point of care uh, testing tools. Uh, so you have um, at the most sophisticated biosensors which read um, for any uh, pathogens you might be having in the body and uh, digitally transform, uh, transfers the data to a lab which can examine it uh, in turnaround time would be a day or two. Uh, so this point of care uh, testing tools have been available, uh, but uh, they were not obviously uh, customized for COVID. Uh, now there are tools like Sapphire uh, that are available. Uh, and, and, and uh, you know, it's not like uh, they couldn't have been developed earlier uh, under the pressure of the emergency. We've done it faster, but it could have been done earlier. But that sense of urgency was not there. Uh, and more than that, hospitals are used to PCRs and they're used to hardware-based solutions. So they don't adapt very quickly. Uh, now, what, fortunately, what has happened during the course of COVID-19 is the greater use of uh, telehealth. And for telehealth, uh, the adoption rate uh, was very low for a long time because doctors felt that they couldn't do the testing uh, remotely. But now they have methods to do it remotely. So we'd expect that telehealth will actually boom. Uh, and boom because uh, you, know, you need it anyway, whether there's an emergency or not, uh, people are chronically ill and uh, it's a headache. I mean, I have old parents and they find it very painful to go to the hospital for nothing more than a blood test. Um, and so that effort to go to the hospital, uh, and my parents are still healthy. So for them, going to the hospital is not a big deal, but what if someone has uh, you know, some illness which prevents them from easily going to the hospital on their own, then somebody has to take them the hospital, they have to find transportation to go there to the hospital. None of that is really necessary. Uh, you could all do it um, remotely. Uh, and to give another example of what happened during COVID-19, there was a complete disruption of the supply chain uh, because manufacturing industry, unlike uh, uh, Amazon's of the world, uh, is not digitized uh, to the extent that the service industry is. Uh, and I'll come to that, um, what is preventing, uh, there's a question about industry 4.0 that you have there. Uh, and I'll come to what is preventing uh, the uh, manufacturing industry or enterprise uh, as a whole from digitizing uh, fast enough. So to come back to COVID-19, because there was supply chain disruption uh, the use of 3D printing accelerated, um, especially for personal, uh, for the manufacture of personal protection equipment, which was in short supply. And uh, with uh, 3D printing, uh, it's a totally different method of um, producing anything. 
uh, it uses metal forming uh, or any material forming instead of metal cutting or material cutting. Uh, so you don't need uh, raw materials coming in from some remote area. You could take the basic uh, raw material and shape it into metal or material. And that started to happen because, you know, you can do that at home. Uh, you could design your product at home and then send it to a factory, a mini factory, which could be another home uh, where the product is manufactured. So uh, that's just to give an example that, uh, you know, it's not like we couldn't have coped with uh, COVID-19. Uh, we were very much in a position to do that. All these lockdowns were not really necessary. Um, but the whole frame of mind has to change when we are thinking about uh, uh, about uh, about uh, digital transformation and why we need it urgently. We have to get that sense of urgency. To, so to give another example of you know how manufacturing itself could uh, have been remotely controlled, um, uh, there's this technology, digital twins. Uh, <clears throat> which is available now. It has not been used a whole lot. It's, uh, it's expected to boom in 2021. Uh, and that allows the remote control of manufacturing facilities. Uh, what it does is to give you a visual picture of the processes and the activities in your manufacturing plant. Uh, and you can then uh, make decisions by simulating alternative uh, options that you have. Uh, so that's uh, for COVID, um, and uh, I, I, I can give more, more examples. Yeah, true, 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 Kishore, right? I think you, you can keep on telling based on your experiences, based on your interactions, right? We can we can have, and then audience would love to hear that also. But can you mm -hmm. also throw some uh, use cases, right? I think uh, you might yeah. have been worked or working on that. Yeah, so the use case that I worked on was for a Japanese um, car plant in Ohio. Um, and I'm not at a liberty to name the company, uh, but what uh, uh, happened, I mean, I talked to the vendor, uh, the technology company, which uh, did the digital transformation. And so what it did was to create a portal uh, for testing of cars. And that, of course, you know, was obviously a start. So when you're doing testing of car components or cars themselves, there are, you know, zillions of processes uh, which have to flow seamlessly. But, you know, that doesn't happen because uh, there are so many processes um, and your paperwork that is involved and the data gathering where it's very slow when you do it manually. Uh, so with this portal, they uh, they made uh, they they designed a way by which um, the state of um, the status of each of the processes could be viewed on an interface. Um, so you're able to coordinate that way all the processes and make it a seamless flow uh, of testing, uh, which you are able to supervise uh, from a single point. Uh, so that's uh, one case study that I came across. Um, another case study that I worked on was uh, on uh, uh, LIBOR migration. This is something that a consulting firm did. And again, I'm not at liberty to name the uh, consulting firm. 
But uh, the transition from the old LIBOR in the banking industry to overnight rates uh, then involved, you know, a whole bunch of uh, processes which had to be changed, uh, data had to be gathered. Uh, so to do that manually uh, would have been a nightmare. I mean, it would have taken God knows how much time if, uh, if it was not impossible because labor uh, transition affects every bank, every process. Uh, it's the way by which um, uh, interest rates are determined. Uh, so changing over to overnight rates involved sweeping change, which could be done uh, it was more manageable with digital processes. Uh, so those are case studies. Uh, okay, now there is a question about uh, digital emerging technologies and industry 4.0. So I guess uh, when you're talking about 4.0, you're uh, really essentially talking about automation in the yes. manufacturing industry. Uh, and specifically robotics. Right, right, Kishore. Okay, so yeah, I've, I've, I've done writing on robotics and what it involves. Um, so, so the 4.0 uh, goes with um, massive, um, uh, you know, massive deployment of the internet of things because you need uh, data coming in from uh, each and every corner of a factory, right? Uh, and with robotics, uh, it gets even more complicated because with robotics, um, you are trying to create a flexible integrated process, which means that you have to govern uh, robots uh, and manage the different stations and gather the data from each of the machines to optimize. So there's a there's a lot of work in 4.0, which also uh, involves 5G, it involves uh, private networks, it involves um, uh, a way by which you could customize the network for specific applications. Uh, so with 5G, because of network slicing, uh, you are able to customize uh, the network services for uh, robotics and the different applications of robotics. Um, because, you know, uh, with uh, the robotics that is being used is called the, they're called cohorts. Uh, cohorts are different from the stationary robots we had earlier. Uh, they're more programmable uh, and they are equipped with computer vision so they can actually view parts, size them up. Um, so there, there is a, there's a lot of data flowing back and forth. Um, and uh, the volumes of that data are so enormous uh, that you, can, you can't really do it with 4G. You need uh, mobile networks, uh, radio networks uh, to reach every, each and every corner. So that's one aspect. And, the kind of networks that you need within a facility, within a factory, those are mesh networks. Uh, and they have uh, a very different design, peer-to-peer uh, -peer networks, uh, but they are needed. Uh, you can't have your traditional networks reaching into every corner of a factory. You need these mesh networks 
which have their own complication. That is because they're peer-to-peer, -peer, they don't use routers. Uh, so they need a special kind of software to manage the traffic. Uh, so that's that's from the facility angle. Then uh, also the transfer expertise. Uh, most enterprise, um, uh, the enterprise is very wary of the internet companies because there's a huge gap uh, between uh, the level of expertise that Google has and the expertise that the enterprise has. So uh, the adoption has been hindered because the enterprise uh, is worried that they lose control. Uh, but now there are there is another generation of companies uh, coming. I, I talked to one of them uh, who are simplifying the process of uh, of uh, introducing uh, complex technologies like uh, artificial intelligence, uh, and they are creating user tools to make it. Um, as easy as running a browser uh, to deploy uh, digital transformation technologies. So I would expect that uh, this will accelerate uh, the adoption rate of um, uh, digital transformation will accelerate. Um, so, the, so the bottom line is that yeah, uh, with industry 4.0, uh, there's a constant pressure to reduce costs and not only reduce costs, but to uh, also shorten the uh, time of delivery because now you have more and more customized products uh, coming into the market. Um, and those are you know, obviously small volume products. You have to uh, have a flexible manufacturing system which is able to absorb the information from the market to produce products that uh, customers need. And that's possible with cobots uh, because they can be programmed and, uh, and the dimensions of different products can be changed quickly. It's possible to produce uh, customized products, but you need to have a system by which you're able to gather information from digital processes quickly, uh, aggregate it, uh, and then uh, be able to manage the entire flow of the entire workflow uh, so that uh, it is in tune with the rhythm of the marketplace. Uh, sorry? No, no, I carry on, Gisho, right? Uh, we can, uh, we, uh, finally, we can talk about the career opportunities also. Yeah. Yeah, so career opportunities, uh, gosh, there's there's so many now, uh, and, and a whole range of them. So, to take an example of natural language processing, which is becoming uh, a very popular way of uh, control, remote control uh, using natural language, uh, you know that opens up a whole bunch of new opportunities, including linguistics, uh, were able to, people who are able to understand the nuances of language and how a machine can read it. Um, so uh, then, you know, there is also uh, a whole bunch of other, uh, like robotics is, uh, is a new opportunity that uh, somebody could train for. Then you have um, X reality. So if somebody is a programmer, Unity is the language to go for, uh, widely used for 
things like augmented reality, uh, which is going to be used in manufacturing for remote control and remote um, assistance uh, and uh, a way to get uh, situational awareness about uh, uh, what is going on with the machines. Uh, but that's another subject. Um, so augmented reality, virtual reality, uh, they all require Unity as a programming tool. Uh, I was at a conference organized by SAP and they said that um, one reason why their health up is uh, that they're not enough programmers with uh, Unity skill set. Interesting. So, so if you want to ask me any specific questions, uh, I could do that. And uh, Kishore, right? It's absolutely uh, fine. Like you have addressed most of the questions, right? Because these questions are mainly consolidated from the audience. Uh, and then these are uh, mostly it was addressed by you. And uh, finally, I would like to give, right? Uh, so especially how do you see uh, like the industries uh, as well as the fresher students look themselves in the next five years? Um, so uh, what I would say is that uh, the industry is going to be very data oriented. Uh, it is going to be very decision oriented. Uh, and it's going to be very quick. Um, so you have to learn the tools which help you to, the productivity tools which help you to do things quickly. Um, so uh, to give an example, digital twin is the obvious thing. Uh, if you can, I mean, that would be at the center of the universe of uh, manufacturing. Uh, 3D, 3D is a uh, huge uh, new technology that helps to gain situational awareness very quickly. Uh, I wrote an article on that, like so Cisco Merarchy, for example, has a system to do that. Uh, so uh, 3D uh, spatial computing, that's, that's going to take off soon. Um, if it's not already doing it. Um, so learning those uh, skill sets uh, would be a big deal. In regards to blockchain, I want to talk especially about uh, this emerging phenomena of the internet of, of blockchains. In the past, uh, you had uh, networks which did uh, specific things like Bitcoin had a network uh, for security and Ethereum uh, provided extensibility with smart contracts so that it could be designed for specific type of uh, transactions. And, you know, in recent years, many more have been coming, but these are the ones which are most, pro two of the most prominent ones. Now, <coughs> if, uh, um, <coughs> excuse me, if Bitcoin and Ethereum could be integrated, uh, obviously the functionality is much greater. You can complement the security with the transactions uh, and make something that is much better. Uh, but that raises an issue of uh, how do you integrate them? And there are a host of issues uh, involved in maintaining the security and the privacy when you start integrating uh, divergent types of, um, <coughs> of networks uh, which can do different things. 
so that's where you need an internet of blockchains and one of the prominent companies that is doing that is Polkadot uh, and in uh, recent uh, weeks its uh, token price has uh, zoomed uh, for a reason because the uh, promise is uh, enormous uh, and what what that will do is uh, essentially create a, a a new type of what is called web 3.0 uh, internet um, which is much more secure and has much greater levels of uh, privacy uh, and what it does is also it scales uh, so you can support uh, a very wide range of uh, applications uh, which are decentralized uh, so so for example uh, today there's a huge problem in securing uh, the Internet of Things. Uh, it's very difficult to integrate security because uh, individual uh, devices on the Internet of Things are small devices, uh, they have limited capacity, and so security, uh, securing them by putting a lot of overhead uh, is uh, not, very not a very feasible option. Um, so so what uh, once the uh, internet of uh, blockchain starts scaling you'll have not only the same type of applications that you already have uh, but they'll be far more secure uh, and the distinctive aspect of the internet of blockchains is the use of uh, incentives uh, financial incentives to discourage uh, malicious behavior uh, and so they have an elaborate system of validators and people who authenticate uh, the identity of individuals and they're penalized if there is any breach uh, in the network. So it's, it's, it's an entirely different architecture for ensuring security and which I think uh, will uh, very fundamentally transform the internet. Uh, for example, today, big tech companies uh, use data to generate not only new services but also uh, it gives them an unfair advantage vis-a-vis -vis small companies who are, who are not in the position to have uh, equivalent volumes of data uh, and the uh, big tech companies are beginning to exploit their monopolistic power uh, by creating arbitrary rules, uh, which is inevitable in any centralized environment. Uh, but what the Internet of Blockchains will do is decentralize decision-making, decentralize the storage of data, and decentralize the design of uh, privacy, uh, which creates the possibility of um, not only lowering the barriers to entry, so there'll be more competition, more applications coming in, uh, but uh, because they're using tokens, uh, you're creating an entirely new economy uh, with its own dynamics. And we'll have to wait uh, till uh, that actually happens. And I believe that uh, we have reached a threshold where um, blockchains will start gaining momentum if they've not already done it. And within the next two, three years, you'll have... Uh, an entirely new generation of applications. So that's it for uh, blockchains. Bye. Uh, good to hear. Uh, definitely, Kishore, right? You are uh, sharing information. 
definitely will be loved by the audience and any questions from the audience uh, post listening uh, we'll get back to you and i'll reach out to you for any clarifications on that all right thank you thank you very much nice talking to you nice talking to you kishore and once again uh, uh, thanks for joining us and sharing your valuable insights and information to our audience definitely for sure thank you